Hello, everyone. This is Manny Fishman of the Buckhalter Law Firm, and we're joining you again for another podcast on real estate matters. And today I have two lawyers at the firm, Michael Meyer, a senior bankruptcy insolvency lawyer at Buckhalter, and Jonathan August, a senior real estate transactional lawyer at Buckhalter. And we're talking to you today about a recent case that was decided in the United States District Court, so a federal court in New York City, dealing with The Gap, a national retailer. And the case is called The Gap versus Ponte Gadia, New York. That was the name of the landlord. And so from the name of the case, you can see that this is a complaint that The Gap filed against its landlord to try to get out of its lease in New York City due to COVID-19. So while there have been other cases dealing with COVID-19 and landlord-tenant issues, what's important about this case is that it was decided in a federal court where the judges have so much time and ability to do thorough research. And it was decided out of New York which has over a hundred years of landlord-tenant case law, and that the case was decided against the gap and in favor of the landlord. So for all of these reasons, I thought we would bring together two great lawyers who deal with these issues every day. And Michael, uh, since you brought this case to our attention, let's start with you. Um, Can you go over briefly how this case came to be? What are the facts of the case? Thanks, Manny. Yeah, sure. I'll just give you a brief lay of the land to situate everyone. So this is a lease that first arose in 2005 in New York City. And the landlord, as you mentioned, is an entity named Ponte Gidea. Uh, So the lease lease had been around for a while. And then the pandemic hits, of course, in March 2020. And as it made the news, Gap decides to suspend its rental payments to landlords across North America um, starting in April 2020, including this particular lease in New York City. So like you said, Gap actually took the offensive in this case, which is a little bit unusual. A lot of the times it's the landlord suing the tenant to recover the rent, but Gap obviously had a strategy here that ceased paying rent everywhere. So the the stores are shut down um, as are stores all over the country, of course, they gradually reopen uh, like everywhere else. But uh, what's a little bit different about this particular location is that when it does reopen to an extent, but really just for curbside pickup, whereas Gap had reopened its other stores in New York for at least limited capacity for people to come in and shop. So that's a little bit of a wrinkle in in this one. Uh, But then that kind of brings us to the, the lawsuit at hand. And uh, just to add some color, New York City by mid-June of last year had allowed some limited operations in retail stores. So even though there was a pandemic, there still was an ability technically for the gap to, as you said, conduct curbside pickup, but also have limited store operations, which the gap chose not to do at this store. 
Right. You know, that is a good point, Manny. They chose to not reopen to in-store customers at this specific location more for a business reason. It wasn't a uh, restriction by the city or, or, or state. They did have the ability under the law to reopen to a limited extent. They specifically chose the gap that is to not reopen this store uh, other than for curbside pickup. So before we get into the main causes of actions or allegations that the gap raised to try to get out of its lease, let me let everyone know that the lease that the gap signed and the court pointed out had a force majeure clause, meaning an act of God clause or something that might excuse performance. And that clause did refer to an event that could excuse performance as governmental controls in connection with a public emergency. So the parties had contemplated that something could delay performance due to governmental controls in connection with a public emergency, but the lease specifically said that force majeure was not a basis for excusing the payment of rent. And I think what's important for everyone listening is that a good force majeure clause is an important lease provision. Because as Mike will go through things, the court relied on the force majeure clause in shooting down so many of tenants' arguments. So with that as a preface, Mike, what were the various allegations that the gap raised to try to get out of its lease? Sure. So Gap made essentially five legal arguments to try to get out from under this rent. And like you said, the court was able to shoot down at least a few of them based a, a lot on the force majeure clause and the strength of that specific clause. So I'll run through them, but you'll see some com commonalities in these arguments. So the first one, though, was a little bit unique as compared to some of the other litigation I've seen, which is the casualty argument that uh, the gap asserted that the pandemic was a casualty, which is in virtually every lease clause, but which is really more in the nature of a fire or some other event that destroys the, the building. And what do the parties do in that case? And it, those are issues are spelled out in, in leases. But the, the court rejected that essentially because it said, well, this is a pandemic is not a casualty. The building itself was not affected by the pandemic. There was nothing a landlord can do to remedy the pandemic, obviously. Um, this is this casualty provision essentially doesn't apply here. And so kind of rejected that that argument. Now, the next few, though, are, are kind of intertwined. You'll see a lot of similarities. One was a frustration of purpose argument. Another one is impossibility, impracticability argument. And the third one was failure of consideration. And so these are all, these th are three separate arguments, but they're all pretty similar. And the frustration of purpose is that there was some kind of unforeseeable event that took place where if the parties had known about that, they never would have entered into this lease in the first place. And so the, the court struck that down because it said, well, look at this force majeure clause. They, there is a contemplation of a national or public emergency such as this pandemic. And so the parties 
contracted around that. They said that the lease was constructed. A force majeure clause like this or national or public emergency does not allow a tenant to get out of rent. So that argument is gone. In kind of similar vein, this impossibility argument is kind of what it sounds like. If a party just cannot perform, there's no way to perform some obligation under a contract, then a party could be excused from it. But again, kind of same thing here, the, the court said the force majeure clause essentially addresses that. Um, and then it also said though, for both really frustration of purpose and impossibility, it wasn't impossible to for the gap to operate, right? They did operate to a limited extent. They had curbside pickup. Um, I think they used some kind of the stores for fulfillment purposes, even though people weren't coming in the stores. So they did use, it wasn't impossible to perform under the lease. It was just less profitable. And that's what happened here. Uh, and then third failure of consideration, like I mentioned, kind of kind of similar. Gap said, well, we didn't get any benefit from this lease. And again, there was some benefit. It's just not as good as normally when you be able to have customers come in the store, but there was a benefit to Gap operating curbside pickup and, um, and being able to do whatever fulfillment activities they have there. But as long as you're allowed to operate to some extent, then it's not impossible or it's not a frustration of purpose. It's just not as profitable and that doesn't excuse payment of rent. And then finally, the, the last one is mutual mistake, which was also kind of a, a novel one from the litigation I've seen on these rent relief issues saying that um, neither landlord nor tenant contemplated um, the possibility of a pandemic. But again, the court says, well, look at the force majeure clause. It does contemplate a national emergency and a pandemic falls within that. So that could be rejected on kind of similar grounds. I found some of the court's language very colorful on some of these uh, legal arguments on uh, frustration of purpose. They basically said for it to be frustrated, the event had to be virtually cataclysmic and wholly unforeseeable. And I think your description of what they did on um, mutual mistake was was just also very colorful. And so for anyone listening, uh, really looking at uh, the opinion, which is written in plain English and getting a flavor for why the court found under New York law that the gaps arguments had no credibility. This was not a close call. Uh, for the court. And I think it helped a lot that, as I said earlier, New York has a, over 100 years of case law dealing with events on leases. Some of the cases that the court cited went back to 1910, 1914. Th this was not something novel for the court to have to consider. Jonathan, you've heard uh, Michael's summary of this. And I, I think all of us want to know your view uh, being the so to speak, firm's uh, go-to person on COVID-19 in California. Do you think this case is unique to New York or is this something that is relevant to uh, landlords and tenants in California? Um, this is, is not a, a particularly um, unique uh, uh, case, um, you know, and, and it would likely apply as well in, in California. Even though California is 
arguably the most tenant favorable state in the country when it comes to leasing issues. Um, the California doctrines uh, or California interpretations of these equitable doctrines, frustration of purpose, impossibility, mutual mistake, um, these are, are doctrines that have basically come out in the exact same way uh, as a New York court um, would, you know, would, would have held, um, where simply because something is not as profitable as it would have been uh, if everything uh, was working normally um, or that you know, this is related to facts at the time of a lease execution, rather than 15 years you know, in the future. Um, all of those arguments would apply in a California court as well. Um, and, and these types of cases are, and in this case with the gap, is not particularly unique given the way we're seeing uh, cases being uh, uh, you know, turned out and, and rulings throughout the country in recent months. And let me ask you the same uh, question, Michael. Um, would this case have been decided differently in a bankruptcy context, you're, of course, uh, in the uh, insolvency group, and you see many uh, bankruptcy cases, and there have been bankruptcies of national retailers. Do you think this case would have turned out differently in bankruptcy? Well, let me say yes and no. On the, on the state law issues, I think it would come out probably the same. And we've seen that in some bankruptcies to date so far. Um, not necessarily, well, I think in some real retailers, but also any kind of business. You have Cinemex, a uh, uh, movie theater chain. You have Chuck E. Cheese um, that's in the Southern District of Texas. Cinemex was in Florida. And courts, the bankruptcy courts have largely rejected similar arguments on these state law equitable doctrines on frustration of purpose and possibility. But that being said, that there are specific bankruptcy statutes and arguments that tenants can make to delay, if not get out of paying rent altogether, which that's the subject of a whole other podcast. But on the state law issues, I think bankruptcy courts have overall come out pretty much the same as this, this gap opinion. The only uh, notable exception I'll mention is there was a, early on, there was a hits restaurant bankruptcy case in Illinois, where the court kind of split the baby on it said, um, at the time, the uh, restaurant could do, I believe, takeout, but no indoor dining at all. And so it came up with uh, 25% would uh, have to be paid, but 75%, which equated to approximately the amount of the restaurant that couldn't be used, um, the rent would rent relief would be granted. But again, that's also a different situation that's talking about earlier in the pandemic, where there was a government order saying that the restaurant could not operate um, for indoor dining at all. We're in a different place um, with the gap and, and some of these other cases where it was uh, possible to reopen to some extent. And then the company makes the business decision not to do it. And so that's kind of a, that's a distinguishing fact that for all these cases, as we've gotten surges and, and then decreases in cases, something to kind of keep in mind that, that might be a factual distinction. And as I remember, the Hits case had a poorly drafted force majeure case, and the court there specifically relied on that clause in being able to find a way for the tenant to uh, withhold rent. Um, so uh, this came up in the retail context. Uh, Jonathan, let me ask you, do you think this is unique to retail cases, or does it have uh, relevance to office uh, tenancies? 
Um, this, I, I think it certainly has uh, relevance to, to office leasing uh, as well as, as just the retail space. Um, you know, there are, you know, one of the, the arguments that the court, um, you, know, you know, used in this gap case was that there was a, a tangible benefit of just having a premises there to store your belongings. Um, an office is the exact same thing. Even if a, a tenant cannot use an office because of a court or of a, a government order saying that uh, the premises need to be closed, um, simply being able to store your, your computers, your files, whatever it may be, your, your, your proprietary da um, data, all of those things being allowed to, to, to stay in, in this uh, space would help you know, bolster that same kind of argument. Um, so it, it's not unique um, that, uh, that a court would, would kind of hold similarly in an office case as it does in a retail case. Although I will say there is a little bit of a difference in the restaurant context. Um, and there was a recent case out of Massachusetts, which, uh, which, which appeared um, in which the court did offer some rent relief um, to a tenant there, but that was very fact dependent on the fact that not only was the restaurant prevented from being able to operate indoors, but they were also prevented from operating outdoors as well as on takeout. So they truly had no way of operating their business. And in that situation, the court said yes your your you know your uh lease has become you know impossible um to perform and therefore uh will grant some rent relief par uh, partial rent relief in that case but again that's a very fact uh, specific incident um and case whereas most restaurant cases and certainly a lot of retail cases are, are not coming out this way nationwide so uh, michael um do you see courts relying on this case i think so i mean landlords are certainly going to rely on this case right and courts are going to look at it because it's a high profile case. It's from uh, Southern District of New York in, in New York City. So a lot of people are going to look to it and commercial tenants are going to have to find ways to distinguish from it. I think yeah. that's a very important, a very important conclusion that tenants, both office and retail tenants are going to need to find a way to distinguish themselves from what seems to be um, the clear lessons of this of this case, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just want to add on to that that this case with, with the gap is not the only one that's come out in recent months um, that has, has kind of taken these equitable doctrine defenses, as you will, um, from tenants and has kind of thrown them out the window. Um, there were two other cases in New York State Court. Uh, one with Christian Lubitan uh, and one with uh, another uh, uh, restaurant um, provider. Um, and in both of those cases, tenants argued that frustration of purpose existed, possibility existed, um, you know, leases were rendered impracticable. And in all those situations, the court held for the landlords. Uh, on every on every case uh, and every uh, cause of action, and that's becoming a more and more recent trend. So the Hits case that we talked about earlier, and that Massachusetts case, which was very fact dependent, are sort of the outlier cases. And there is a seemingly growing national trend in favor both in bankruptcy courts, from what, from what I've seen, uh, as well as at the state level, that landlords are winning um, on these sort of rent abatement, rent deferral cases. And let me add that. Um... This case came up at what we call summary judgment, meaning the facts were not in dispute. There was no need for a jury or a trial. The judge was able to decide this as a matter of law, meaning it came up much earlier in the case cycle. 
uh, granted, uh, this is a year from when the, uh, the gap actually terminated, but in litigation years, this is at the beginning stage and courts feel comfortable deciding this with very limited discovery uh, and based just on pleadings. So the lawyer's role in this is, is very important. Thank you for your comments on this case. I think it has um, application to insolvency. It has application to retail and to office tenants. And I'm really grateful to Michael Meyer and to Jonathan August for sharing their thoughts on the importance of this case. If all, any of you have uh, questions, please uh, feel free to reach out to Michael or Jonathan. And it's always a pleasure to have these podcasts and bring you updated information uh, on real estate matters. Thank you.